listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Church, the year was 1835, when a man visited a doctor in Florence, Italy. He was filled with anxiety and exhausted from a lack of sleep. He couldn't eat and and even avoided his friends, though when examined by the doctor, he was found to be in prime physical condition. Concluding that his patient merely needed to go have a good time, the physician told him about a circus in town and its star performer named Grimaldi. Night after night, this this Grimaldi had audiences rolling in the aisles. You must go and see him, the doctor advised. Grimaldi is the world's funniest performer. He'll make you laugh and, and cure your sadness. No, replied the despairing man. He cannot help me because I am Grimaldi. In church here, we have a man who's whose calling in life was to bring gladness to those around him, yet was unable to experience it in his own soul, for he was overwhelmed by sadness. I bring the story before you this Sunday because this is the dilemma you and I face on our journey with the Lord. Gladness is our desire, though sadness is often our reality. You and I have been united to Christ in love, remember? We've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're forever secure in his will and have been called to spread the good news of his grace throughout the earth. Yet on this side of eternity, in a world that is very much still fallen, we find ourselves brought low in sadness. Sadness to to be discouraged, low-spirited, subdued by sorrow. It is that powerful emotion you and I know all too well, whether young or old, wealthy or impoverished, celebrity or commoner, for for reasons we can name as well as those we cannot. Sadness affects us at some time, does it not? We see it in one another. We hear it in our communities. We feel its impact in our own hearts. For it was American poet and educator Henry Longfellow who penned, Everyone has their own secret sorrows, which the world knows not. And oftentimes we call a man cold when he is only sad. Truly, if we were to look underneath much of our sarcasm, busyness, posting and projecting, binge watching and excessive drinking, underneath we would find many of us have been sad for quite a long time now. There's someone who scrolls their phone continually to escape the painful thought that the life you project online is much more fulfilling than your actual life. There's a child who stayed in the sanctuary this morning, sad about attending a new school without any of your friends, while a college student laments returning to the same school where all last year you struggled to make friends. There's a young professional whose heart aches at the lack of enjoyment you experience at your workplace, as well as the relational disappointment outside of your work. There's a leader in this community, sad from carrying everyone else's sadness. What's gotten you sad this summer? Why is your soul cast down this morning? What has your heart low? It's in these moments we wonder what what good news is there for those who bear sad souls. 
Well, friends, this summer we've been, we've been journeying through the Psalms, which instruct us in how to live as God's people in all of life's circumstances. We've seen the Psalms speak to emotions such as fear, gratitude, anger, praise, and faith in the Lord. As one scholar put it, whatever your particular need, there's a psalm for it. And this morning, we come to a psalm where the writer experiences deep sadness. To the depths of his soul, he feels a need to be touched by God. But I believe it's in, in reading the honesty of the lament psalms that is the reason many of us adore this book. The reason we run to the psalms in times of trouble, because we see our own lives in the text. But the good news of the Christian faith is that the same God who comforted the original writers of the text is alive and at work in the sanctuary this Sunday. He is just as able to console us, to carry us, to encourage us in our sadness. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this is what we see today by, by leaning into Psalm 42. We, we hear God speak to those who bear sad hearts this morning. How can you and I remain steadfast in faith while our souls feel weighed down in sadness? In our passage today, God provides the answer. But before we arrive at how, to make it through seasons of sadness. Why? What, what makes you and me sad? Well, Psalm 42 reveals to us that we become sad when we no longer sense that God is present. When God goes absent, when we no longer have an awareness of his nearness, of his presence, we, we grow sad. Verse 1, the psalmist begins, as a deer pants for flowing streams. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and be appear before God? He once enjoyed a beautiful, intimate, close relationship with the Lord his God. A leader in the temple he was, the psalmist worshiped God with gladness and delight. Full of praise and adoration, the psalmist experienced that in the Lord's presence there is fullness of joy. Pleasures at his right hand forevermore. It was there in the temple, the central place of worship for God's people, that, that he and the congregation enjoyed spiritual connection with the Lord. But wait, on the heels of such joy and delight, something tragic has occurred. Life is no longer as it used to be, as he's been removed from worshiping in the temple. For some reason, he's prevented kept away, unable to commune with God in the temple, and is now surrounded by enemies in a foreign land? Is it the exile, you ask, that's kept him from worship? Is it an illness, some, some outside circumstance that has torn him away from the temple? Well, friend, while the, while the text does not say what's prevented him from going to the temple, this prevention has led to him feeling pulled away from God himself. He feels the sole ache of being distant from God, far from his presence, and longs to be there again. He yearns to see God and to feel his touch but cannot. As a result, his soul is sad. He says, if you need a picture of the state of my soul, if you need imagery for my longing to be with God again, imagine a deer panting for streams of water. As a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Can you see a church? A deer walks around in the forest searching, de desiring to find a refreshing stream of water. 
Discovering no water brooks, that deer stretches its head forward, eager to find the only source that will quench its thirst. If the animal can just get to the water, things will be all right. In pain and weakness, the, the deer begins to pant. It cries out from the heart, thirsting to be filled again. Knowing that water is an absolute necessity, the, the deer longs intensely for a drink, yearning to be satisfied. And the psalmist says, just as that deer longs for the streams, that's how I long for the Lord. I long to be with God again. My, my cr heart cries out for him as the only one who can sustain my soul. God, I need you. You are my absolute necessity, the only one who can heal my my aching, weary soul, I, I miss your presence. I miss your nearness. My, my inner being is dry, lonely, lost and weary. And, and while I can attempt to fill myself with everything and everyone, I know that it is you, O oh Lord, who I need. The only one who can satisfy my thirst. God, I long for you. I am desperate for your sustaining grace. Not only is the psalmist dependent on God for life, but, but joy and pleasure is found in him. He, he wants his gladness restored. Friends, can you relate this morning? Do you long for him? Do you thirst for God? Do you deeply desire for him to fill you up again? You've been panting for God for a long time now. Your heart has been aching from him seeming far away. You've been, you've been downcast as your helper has seemed silent and absent. So far from rescuing your life, you, you long to feel his touch, to be in his loving embrace, to, to see him smile at you once again. It's like you're out here without him and thus have been sad for a while. The psalmist says in verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In the same way that a deer needs fresh flowing living water, so does the psalmist. His soul thirsts for the living water that, that only God provides. His whole being, spirit and body, strains toward God. When can I turn, return to your presence, Lord? When, when can I be close to you again? Unfortunately, as the psalmist has been thirsting for the living water of God, the only water he's tasted is his own tears. Verse 3, he cries out, My, my tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Here he describes the grief of being cut off from God's presence. Day and night, he cries. This is another type of sadness. As the, as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. named it, the dark night of the soul. And to make his suffering worse, he is taunted daily by outsiders who ask the painful question, where is your God? Think about that for a moment. While we assumed at the beginning that the issue was that God was in the temple and he could not return to the temple, if you listen closely to the pages of scripture, it's as if you can hear the psalmist answer back, where is my God? I don't know where God is. This is why I cry day and night. Because it's one thing to know where God is and to long to return to where he is. But what is one to do when you, you don't know where God is or what he's up to in your life at this moment? Cognitively and theologically, we, we know God never leaves us nor forsakes us. 
Yet there are also moments in the Christian life where God appears very silent, even absent. We begin to doubt if he's truly at our right hand. We'd, we'd like to believe that he's close, but he feels far off. Surely, surely this is why we've become sad when we no longer sense that God is near. For some, you, you desire to make a difference in your work, your career, your life mission. But a lack of seeing God move in your midst has left you deeply discouraged. For others, you see violence on your street and on your phone, wondering, God, are you still nearby? Are you close to us? Maybe for you, your, your relationship pains have left you questioning, God, have you left me out here alone? And this question by the enemies of where is your God deepens in the psalmist's heart as he is left to ask the same question, where is my God? Nonetheless, for the psalmist, there was a day when, when God was near, when his presence was felt. This he remembers the joy of worshiping God in gladness and delight. Verse 4, he continues, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I, I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. As he grieves the loss of closeness with the Lord, he remembers a time when, when he and God were real close. He carries the memory of better days when he entered the temple with God's people and engaged in amazing, heartwarming worship of the Lord. You, you remember too, don't you? He was a leader in this church, would walk around down that aisle with his nice black robe as he led the people in worship. He was so full of encouragement and enthusiasm every time he came up here on the stage. He was known by all in the church for, for not only being excited to praise God, but, but he was a model to everyone else in how to glorify the Lord. And the worship was hidden too. Glad shouts, he says. Songs of praise were sung. So many smiles. It was, it was a whole festival in the sanctuary. They played all the songs, too. You remember that? A little bit of everything, depending on the Sunday. Often they'd mix it up. They'd, they'd play a song or two of Kirk, then follow it with some Sandra McCracken. And the young people were always requesting Maverick City, so they gave them a song. <laughs> then they'd finish with the hymns that everyone knew and loved. Some great memories, weren't they? What a great time communal worship was. The, the psalmist remembers a day where he was happy, overjoyed in God's presence. You can imagine his spiritual life was at an all-time high. But, but now, his gladness has been exchanged for sadness, as he can no longer worship with God's people at the temple. Friends, many of you can recall a day when you were joyful, abounding, grateful to be enjoying God's presence. As some of you know who have heard my story, I became a Christian the spring before I went off to my freshman year of college. And that first two years was instrumental because I had many mentors who poured into me when I was 18 and 19 who led me in the faith. And a few weeks ago, one of my mentors from freshman year reached out to me on Facebook Messenger. Shout out Messenger, what an app. Um, <laughs> and he said, Chris, I've been following, that's not actually how he talks, but he said, Chris, I've been following your life over Facebook the last 10 years since freshman year, and I'd love to, to do a Zoom call so we could catch up to see how things have been going. I was like, sure, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get on the call, and he immediately says to me, Chris, you, 
You remember our first conversation the first semester freshman year when you asked me to meet? I didn't remember the conversation, but he says, Chris, I remember vividly. You told me, I'm a freshman here in college. I love Jesus. All I want to do is learn how I can love him more. And as I heard that, I was encouraged to remember my 18-year-old self, but, but I became sad in that moment. I missed those days where I was, I was excited and happy in God. I loved the Lord, but, but that was a day where I was preaching to my pillow. I was excited. I was praising. I was, I was, I was encouraging my classmates. I, I felt God was close, and I missed those days. And as a Reformed Presbyterian pastor, I know God is omnipresent. He is not only in the temple, but he is in all places and at all times. By his spirit, he dwells within me. I also believe that, that Chris's feelings do not determine the truth of God. And still, there are days and months where God simply feels closer to me. When I am more aware of his presence, and I enjoy those seasons more than any other. You too might remember a day in your past with the Lord where, where y'all were super close. Your heart was excited to worship. You felt filled up and passionate in ministry. His presence was oozing off of your shoulders. And that is great, friends. The, the Bible calls us to remember those beautiful days. But the temptation, brothers and sisters, is for you and me to wish we could go back instead of seeing where God may desire to take us with him today. But can I share some good news with you this Sunday? In the moments where we question if God is still present, if God is with us now like he was in the past, may our souls be reminded of another Psalm, 139 to be exact, where David proclaimed, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Father, remind me there is no place I can go that you have not already gone ahead of me. No place I can travel that you will not travel with me. Write on the tablet of my heart that you are with me now more than ever. That you remain at my job, you are there. On my campus, you are there. In the broken places of my family, you are there. On my best days, you are there. On my saddest days, you are there. You are always present at my right hand, shielding my life, providing for me at every turn, sovereignly directing each of my steps. Jonah fled all the way to Tarshish, but even he couldn't escape your loving presence. Peter ran back into the boat to fish after he denied you three times, but he couldn't outrun your reach. Paul was running some Christians into the ground, but even he couldn't outsend your grace. Friends, you and I were running in all types of directions, but somehow we ended up in the sanctuary this Sunday. He is God with us. Therefore, why... Why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Wait for God. Hold on just a tad longer. Put your full weight on him. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He will surely turn his face to answer me. Though while it is key that we remember God remains present with us, 
We might still be sad while not seeing God at work or sensing his movement in our lives. Therefore, we also need to remember that God remembers us in our sadness. And this brings us to our second point. When, you, when your soul feels weighed down in sadness, remember that God remembers you. Verse 6, he goes on, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Repeating that his soul is cast down, that his heart is brought low. He, he remembers God from his low place, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, he says. These places geographically are are as far as one can imagine from Jerusalem where the temple was. And he's using it to show that he indeed feels as far away from God's presence as possible. But from this far place, he, he describes his emotional distress using the imagery of water once again, chaotic waters, tumbling waterfalls, roaring waves pass over him, overwhelming his soul. Deep calls to deep as, as one who is overtaken by a wave in the ocean. He, he feels overtaken by one wave of sorrow after another. This is powerful imagery. Displaying the amount of force against his mind and heart. From so far away from Jerusalem in such deep waters, who is able to see him, to hear his cry in distress? Well, friends, the beauty of Christianity, the wonder of the text, is that amid an overwhelming flood of sadness, amid longing to see God but feeling removed, despite taunting that God has indeed abandoned him, there is one who has kept his eyes on the psalmist the entire time, one who makes sure to send his love even to the lowest of places. Watch verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Though tears have been his food, though he's crying day and night, Yahweh is out here commanding, making sure his love reaches the psalmist day and night. Even in a foreign land, unfamiliar territory, God is still able to get his love to his people. While the inner self feels as though God has abandoned him, God's unfailing love is, is with him daily. This, this is not just any love either, but the Hebrew word for steadfast love refers to God's covenant love. His never-ending, enduring, loyal, holds on tight through trial and trouble type of love. For the Lord is committed to his people. He remembers us. He remembers to send his covenant love when we're in low places. In the morning, he makes sure his love reaches my soul. In the midnight hour, his song is with me, a, a prayer to the God of my life. Friends, sometimes all you need is a song at night that reminds you of his love. A song that says, when I feel unseen, God sees me. When I believe he is far away, somehow his love still reaches me. And may this song Become your prayer in times of sadness, and, and may this prayer be an honest lament to God. As the psalm is, he gets to his prayer closet in verse 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? 
Friends, one of the many reasons I love the Psalms is they give us a picture, a, a model into the normal prayer life of a Christian. You be going from joy to despair to excitement to anger back to hope all in two hours, gradually working toward trust in God. And here, as the psalmist prays, he, he speaks to God about feeling forgotten in his time of need. He resolves to express his honest thoughts that, that it's, at this time, it seems as if God has put him out of mind, neglected his needs and wants. Father, why do you cease to care? Why don't you notice me in my sadness? I, I don't know where you are right now. I need you to come through on my behalf. And it was back in verse 3 that we saw the trouble of the perceived absence of God multiplied with the taunt of his enemies. But it's here in verse 10 that he brings these struggles to the Lord in prayer. Not just any God, read, read, read that, look at that. But God is rock. God, my rock. The one when I am shaky remains steadfast. When I'm low, he upholds my life. God, my rock. And know that even in my distress, he is able to to uphold my life. And it is after you've labored in prayer, after you've given your soul over to the Lord that you are able to now speak to your soul. Watch the same refrain that was used in verse five that's repeated in verse 11. Here the psalmist teaches us something. In the same way that you would encourage a friend's faith, you've got to learn to speak to your own soul. Watch as he speaks to his soul, addressing his inner self. He questions his soul. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? And why are you in turmoil within? Why are you melted away, brought low, roaring within me? It's as if I can hear him respond. I'm cast down because God is far and I miss him. I need him, but I don't know where he is. He's, he's forgotten me. I love him and need him to come to make all things right. But when you know that the Lord is your rock, the one who commands his love to reach you day and night, you can speak back to your own soul to trust that same God. Like the psalmist, you can say to your own soul, I know life is shaky. I know you're disturbed, but hope in God. Wait for God. Place your hope in him. Know that he will bring back his loving presence. For, for the psalmist is confident that he shall again praise the Lord, his salvation, and his God. Surely this will not be the end. But the question I want answered, the question that makes all the difference in our sadness, in the midst of so much sorrow, how does the psalmist have confidence that he will praise God again? What reason does he have to place his hope in God? The same reason you and I have reason to hope in God this morning the faithfulness of the God who already saved us. He is our salvation. He is our redeemer. The basis for the Christian's confidence that, that we will worship God again with gladness is the faithful character of the God we worship. This is why remembrance is so crucial for the life of faith. This is why keeping a journal of God's past actions, keeping a memory of what he's done for our lives, serves as a rock in times of sorrow. When we remember how he's been our salvation back then, it builds our faith that he will be faithful to carry us in the present and deliver us in the future. And this is God's answer 
to how we remain steadfast while our souls feel weighed down in sadness. We can remain hopeful though our souls are sad when we anchor that hope in the faithfulness of our Savior. God, you have saved my soul. I cannot let you go because you never let me go. I've been young and now I'm approaching 28, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Lord, you may seem distant in the present, but, but I recall the goodness of your presence. I will speak to my own soul about your faithfulness. I have faith for the not yet, despite the struggle of the right now. To those who are sad today, friends, this is not the end, but we will praise God again. For those who are in Jesus, secure in him, we know how the story ends. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, God will be faithful to his people, never to let us go or leave us alone. God, God loves you and will return for you. The Christian life will not end in sadness, but we're headed for glory. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. God, God has saved us in Christ, sending his covenant love in Christ. And it is through Christ that we will praise him again in gladness, so hope in him. I love the way Nancy Wolford says this. She says, despite all the writers, despite all the writer remembers and waits, and so he has hope. The, the ancient Israelites had waited many times in their history for God, and in Egypt they waited for deliverance from slavery. In the wilderness they waited to go to the promised land. In exile they, they waited to return to God's presence in Jerusalem. Thus, when we find ourselves in circumstances where God seems absent, when our very beings feel as though the weight of the world is upon them, may we be able to speak the assuring words, wait for God, for I will again praise him. Man, Nancy was down there. She was going in on that. I like, I like that. And as I close, I'm getting ready to close. No, all right. Friends, we who are sad are in need of hope. In a world that can be discouraging and, and distressing, we we become overwhelmed with grief. Our souls, many of us, are weighed down in sadness this morning. As a deer cries out for water, you and I long to have our souls comforted again. For those who haven't experienced joy all summer, it can feel as if gladness is, is so far out of reach. What hope do I have that I'll rejoice again? But friends, the, the good news of the gospel is there is hope for every hopeless heart. There is a rock who keeps us steady when everything in our life feels shaky. He is a faithful, gracious, enduring savior who has not neglected you but sends his love to you day and night. And by placing your hope in him, you can endure even the saddest of seasons. We can remain hopeful though our souls are sad when we anchor our hope in the faithfulness of our Savior. You say, Chris, that's awesome. I can believe that the Lord will eventually be faithful to me in the future, but I need to know what comfort I receive from him to sustain me in the present. Well, friends, I'm glad you asked, because here's what you need to remember about your Savior. Along with being the Savior of sinners, he was also the man of sorrows. Despised and rejected by humankind, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom we hid our faces, we esteemed him not. 
Sent from heaven to earth by the Father, he experienced the agonies of living in this broken world. He withdrew to a desolate place to mourn the loss of his cousin John the Baptist. He wept with Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. He showed compassion to a widow at their son's funeral in the town of Nain. He comforted Jairus whose daughter had died after just 12 years. There was anyone who tasted grief, who knew sadness, it was him. In submission to the mission of his father, he prayed earnestly in the garden before his hour had come, saying, my soul is sorrowful even to death. They arrested him and hung him on a cross where he took on the justice of God for your sin and for my sin, paying a debt none of us could pay. He cried out in sorrow as he was separated from the Father's presence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they took him down and buried him in Joseph's tomb. His disciples were saddened. The hearts of his followers were crushed as their Lord and friend had died. You already know Friday was a sad day. Saturday was extremely silent. But something happened on the third day when the tomb began to shake. And it was Mary who stood outside that tomb weeping, and he appeared. And she said, they have taken away my Lord, and I, I do not know where they have laid him. But it was him who responded to her, Mary, it is I. Do not cling to me, but go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, to your God and my God. And it was Mary who went and announced to the disciples that I have seen the Lord. He's gotten up. He's defeated death. He's overcome every trial. He's triumphed over every trouble. And he ascended to sit at the right hand of God. And it is this Jesus who will come again in the same way that he went up. And when he comes again, we will see him as he is. For we who have placed our faith in him, we're, we're headed for eternity in his presence. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to wipe all of our faces. He's going to wipe away every tear. There won't be any more mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, but we're going to worship him again. We're going to smile again. We're going to sing again. We're going to shout again. Our, our souls will be filled again. Sadness will not be our final state, but we're destined for glory. We're headed for joy. Is there anybody in this church who knows that in Jesus there is fullness of joy? Hope in God, for you shall again praise him, your salvation, and your God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.